uh, A. George Green from uh, Stony Brook University, the strength and conditioning coach there. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Impact Podcast, where we talk about all topics relevant to the game that I love. I am your host, Terrell Dozier, and tonight's guest I'm very excited about is New York City legend, legend, Mr. Adrian Walton. Hey, Butter. Hey, what's goody? What's going on? How are you, man? Thank you for coming on. Nice, all love. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So, I don't even want to waste no time, man. I want to get. <laughs> I want to. I want to get right into it, man. We got about. We got about an hour, so we got. We got a lot to cover. Uh, first thing is first, man. How are you and your family doing during this time, man? Y'all staying safe? Yeah, we good. Staying out the way. You know, right now there's a lot going on you know what i'm saying with this pandemic you know what i mean with the protests and stuff of that nature but you know we stand i'm staying out the way i make sure that my family and them are staying out the way as well good nah no question about it man so let's get right into it man i want to know who put the ball in your hands you know what i'm saying <laughs> like like take me back to take me back to before before a whole lot of game before a butter man take me back to to young adrian um I would say who put the ball in my hand would be like a guy by the name of Tiny Archibald. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was my junior high school basketball coach. So I went to IS 275 located in Harlem. Mm-hmm. He was the gym coach there. So, you know, not knowing growing up, you know, this is a person that's kind of like influencing you to play basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, me being in my neighborhood, you know, we grew up playing flag football and stuff like that. Like, we wasn't really into, like, basketball like that. But now that I look back at it and see who he was and to know who he was as I grew older, like, to see how he was motivating me in junior high school to play basketball, you know, I kept going with it. You know, from his motivation and me going to school every day, I wound up playing with a local team in my neighborhood but called St. Mark's. You know, it was a church called St. Mark's and a guy by the name of Alexis, rest in peace, he was the uh, lemonade man in Harlem. You know, he basically looked out for me, you know what I mean? He kind of like made me stay in the gym and learn how to play, like really, really, really like learn how to play. And then from there, you know, I kind of like just journeyed on, you know what I mean? Started to play with different AAUs as in Gauchos and Riverside. You know what I'm saying? Gauchos was more of like a, you know, they let you, they let you play. They let you, you know, Gaucho comes with the tough and the grittiness. You know, if you're a kid that's from the street, you you wanted to play with them because they was an AAU team. You know what I'm saying? But they let you play. Riverside was more structured. You know, Riverside taught you 
how to get ready to play in college. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, they really were about their P's and Q's and stuff of that nature. So I kind of, like, went to Gauchos first after St. Mark's and then went to Riverside after that. And Riverside kind of, like, put me on my journey with Milford Academy and things. Like, I could just go on from there, you know, from Milford Academy, me going to Bronx Region. You right. know what I'm saying? I first started off with graphic arts. You know, that was the first high school that I chose. You know what I'm saying? I, I played there, but then again, I didn't play. It was like, you know, I wasn't really serious about basketball until I went away into Milford Academy. That's when basketball started to get serious for me at 16, 17. No question about it, man. So interesting, interesting background story. So you, your reputation was as a was as the one-on-one -on -one dude like like you just like you went around and just played cats one-on-one <laughs> -on -one. like that's how you that's how you earned your stripes just going to different places and playing different cats one-on-one -on -one. and you talk about growing up with two dudes that everybody knows and that's that's mason betha yeah aka, AKA mace and, <laughs> and cameron giles aka cameron so so talk about, because they play basketball too, as we all know, they background story. So talk about your relationship with them in, up in Harlem. Oh, yeah. When I, like, where I grew up, where I'm from, like, 7-5, like, once you turn the corner, that's 39th Street. Where I grew up at, everybody hung out in 39th Street Park on 39th Street and Lenox Avenue, you know what I'm saying? So that's where they also play basketball, you know what I mean? But Mace's... He was one of, like, the first rappers in my neighborhood that kind of, like, invested in me. I grew up right next to Big L. Like, Big L was, rest in peace, was, like, one of the biggest Michael Jordan fans. He had all the Jordans. He had anything Chicago. You couldn't tell him nothing about Michael Jordan. He was just a straight big fan of Michael Jordan. You know what I'm saying? He'd be in the park shooting and whatnot, but he wasn't really, really nice, like, like E Jordan, you know what I'm saying? Like we had a guy from 39th Street that used to call E Jordan. He used to do everything that Michael Jordan did, you know what right. I'm saying? So growing up, like E Jordan and watching him play with his big brother, Big Lee, and them, like they were like the guys that you know you watched in your neighborhood, and they were like, you know, the, also the neighborhood hustlers that made sure that the neighborhood stayed a neighborhood. Right. Mace used to always invest in the tournaments growing up, you know what I'm saying? So it was like. I was one of the kids that, like, you know, Mace used to put on his team and make sure all his team, all his players had Jordans and things mm -hmm. of that nature. And right after playing with Mace, it was like, I mean, playing for Mace and being cool with him growing up, I I started, like I said, when I went away to school, like right before I went away to school to go up to Milford, you know, me and Cameron just, like, our relationship just, click it went to another level you know what i'm saying like we he, he would drive up to my school and you know we play video games and stuff like that together you know i challenged him as well because he only got me by like i'm 38 about to be 39 if i'm not mistaken cam's about 43 42 44 the most you know what i'm saying but i know he got me by like four or five years so it was like at that age i'm 16 17 he's still like 23 you know, you, you make a person think that they still could, you know, be out there. They could still right. hoop, you know what I mean? So that was our connection. Basketball, I'm a kid that he calls 5 in the morning, 6 in the morning. Once he comes out of the studio, he wants to go and hoop, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's where our relationship got closer. And, you know, we just never turned from that point on, you know what I mean? I've all, We've always rode ever since I was about 14, 15 years old. 
I'm 39. He still plays a big part in my life. No question about it. So you talked about you went to Milford, then you came back, you know, then you came back to the city, but you were already playing. You was already playing, starting to get to earn your stripes at the Rucker. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and so I want to come back. I want to come back. I want to come back to the Rucker. And what I want to talk about is your decision to go to Fordham University. Now, you had the choice to go to Miami, and then you chose to go to Fordham. Talk about that decision. That's one of the one of the biggest decisions that you made. And obviously, knowing your story, a decision that, in hindsight, you're not, you know, you weren't happy with. Talk about that, where you were at in your, your mindset at the time. Well, at that time, like I said, I was tight like one of the top young kids in New York City, you know what I'm saying, as in my age and playing in the Rucker, being the top tournament in America and all of the national publicity it was getting, and I'm kind of like a champion up there so early. Uh, I, How do you say it? It was like, you know, I had a kid, you know what I mean, and I grew up with my mom and pops, and mm – -hmm. I had formally, ver I mean, verbally committed to going to Miami, you know what I'm saying? But once I had my daughter, it was like, I didn't want to go away to school for some reason. It's like I'm a big fan of, you know, my kid knowing me from zero to three. I felt like those were the golden years, and I didn't want to miss that. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, like, took the bag, you know. I'm old enough now where I could speak about it. I grew up off of blue chips and stuff like yeah. that. I took the bag from them, you know what I'm saying, and went to Fordham. It was like... That's Atlantic 10. That's still D1. You know, I'm right here in the Bronx. And, you know, like I said, knowing the other schools at the time, it, I'm a young kid coming from poverty, man. I mean, Omar Cook is at St. John's. You know what I'm saying? I could have looked at some other schools that's in New York. UConn got my man Ben Gold and then Talik Brown in them there. So it's like Seton Hall, Andre Bat. There's a lot of guys that's in different schools that in New York is like, it makes no sense for me to like try to stay there. So Atlantic 10, you know, still D1, like I said, and I chose, I took the money from them, you know, more than 30,000. I'll leave it at that. You get okay. what I'm saying? So it's like seeing them being able to do the things that they were doing and they were willing to give up that kind of money. Bob Hill to me was like a former NBA coach. So I'm looking at it as, you know, I get to still get, grow up in New York, see my daughter. He's a former NBA coach. If I'm nice and I know I could kill, I know he got some type of connections. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nah, it ain't turn out that way. Right. <laughs> but that was my mindset at that age. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, it's about coming from poverty. You having a kid. You want to take care of your kid. You want to make sure that, you know, you're still playing Division One basketball. If you feel like you got talent, you could turn up. You know, I saw Bevon Robin go to that school. He's from New York. Mm -hmm. So I didn't look at it. It was like, you know, why New Yorkers can't stay in New York and try to, like, take schools that, you know, looking at Fordham, it was always known as academics. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So why, why we can't come there is who we are. And try to like make it make it make a difference with that athletics, you know what I'm saying? So we tried, you know what I mean. We got our names out there or whatever, but you know it, it really didn't work. It didn't work the best out for me with F4, you know what I'm saying? No question, nah, no question, no question about it. And so, you know, you're there and you think like, okay, Bob Hill's got some NBA experience. He's going to groom me to do that. So you play mm -hmm. one year, you play one year at Fordham, you know what I'm saying? 
and then you make a decision to put your name in the draft. Now there's, yeah. that, now there's rules in place, as we all know. So put your name in the draft and see, you know what I mean? Let me see where I can go. Let me, let me do some intel. Your coach does the intel for you. Listen, this is what they're saying about you. Nah, we ain't get all of that. Right. You're not Bob get Bill drafted. doesn't do ain't do all of that. He was on some. I'll write you the letter. He, I'll write to. If back then there was a dude named Stu Jackson, I guess he was like the head of the player development back then. You know what I'm saying? And he was like, "We gonna write a letter to Stu saying that you want to enter the draft." And my whole thing was, yo, I just needed to go to a camp. You know what I mean? In in my mind, it was Portsmouth or something like that. That's all I used to hear about. I felt like I played college basketball. I played against a lot of NBA players, overseas players. It didn't matter who I played against. You know, I get this structure. If I go to a camp and play with other ball players, strap them up, I'm quite sure somebody's going to see the raw talent in me. The one thing that I still hold to my heart to this day that Bob Hill was wrong about was he didn't inform me as a freshman that if you enter the draft, if you didn't go to a camp or you don't get an agent, at least reinstate yourself back into college. Yeah. I, those are things, you know, coming from poverty, just being honest. You don't, no one tells you stuff like that. You don't know that if you enter the draft, like, all right, well, I still got three years left. Let me reinstate myself back into college and see what, there's a deadline. There's a, there's a cutoff. Me not knowing that, I, use, I lose three years of my eligibility. You know what I mean? And I feel like in my heart to this day, I feel like, he didn't want to tell me that because as a freshman, I took an oath signing that contract coming to his school. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I didn't honor that, there were things that my teammates used to hear him say to us, you know, you guys don't have to listen to me. I'm still going to have my big house. I'm still going to have my Mercedes Benz. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to have my bank account. So when you got a coach that talks like that to you and you listen and you look at what the world we're living in and how things are, was he really for me? I mean, the, giving me the bag to come to the school, coming from poverty now that I'm older, you know, it would make me think that he is for me. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> but when you see, like, did he really go beyond or try to make sure that he helped me just because I didn't choose to just – make him look good as a coach. And you get what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. the fact that you want to leave, you know, look, watch your life fuck up. You know what I mean? Like, he could have he helped that more, you know what I mean, with, with me being a kid, especially being a kid that's representing Fordham and being from New York City. You know what I'm saying? Like, my college story didn't have to turn out like that. But, you know, luckily, you know, I had some good people that helped me get into junior college in um, Arkansas and get into junior college in California. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Speaking of Arkansas, I see Kareem Reed jumped on here real quick. Shout yeah, out shout out to Reed. Best kept. Best um, kept secret. So, you know what I mean? So, like I said, man, like, so I want to talk about, like, the route, the route that you took to get to Fordham for a second. And there was a knock on you that, okay, he used to playing in the streets which is, you know, which is about mano y mano as mm -hmm. opposed to playing this team concept. How did you make that feel? Because my thing is, if you're a basketball player, we, we fit in whatever the game is that we have to play. So if it's me versus you, then I'm going to do that. But I know how to get people the ball and I know how to facilitate. But did you feel like there was a black cloud hanging over you because you played that rough? Uh, not really. You just had to... 
you have to be a winner. Like me living and being from New York, you know, especially being from Harlem, I've always seen people just like look a certain way just because they was already they, they, the perception that they gave off. So a, a nigga might not even be, excuse me, you know, but a person might not even been winning. And just because he looked like he hangs with winners and look like a winner, you know, he gets lots of love. You get what I'm saying? So in my eyes growing up, all I ever saw was be a winner. Like no one could be mad at you, you know, for trying to score so much if the overall is about winning. You get what I'm saying? So nine times out of ten, once I learned the structure, you know what I mean? It was it became easier for me to play. It was like the one thing that I give, you know, going to Fordham credit, Bob Hill's son taught me how to play pick and roll. So it's like me not, me understanding how to play basketball is one thing, but me learning how to do a pick and roll and then also learning what a step back is and when to use it. Those things I took with me forever. And it was like, look what I was able to do throughout my career playing basketball. You get what I'm saying? So it was like, it didn't really, it wasn't no real knock on me, you know, just being a street ball player because I was able to learn structure. But like I said, being that I'm from Harlem, I just made it look good a certain way to where it was like, you can't never leave the street ball out of you. You know what I mean? Like that was a, that was something that they didn't really like at Fordham. You know what I'm saying? Like, especially when you play in college basketball, they don't really want you to be, you know, too fancy and all of that. You know what I mean? Fast break. Just get the point. Just get. But if it's in your nature, it comes natural to you anyway. So it's not like, you know, you're doing anything out of ordinary. You know what I'm saying? So it kind of like always fit for me. You know what I mean? It was part of like my game. You knew that's what you was getting if you was, the, if you was hiring me to come play for you or you was bringing me to put on your team. I've always looked like I. I was coming to put on a show. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Nah, no question about it, man. So I want you to take me back to the day. You got a game at the Rucker that day, <laughs> and there's a little buzz going around. Yo, Vince supposed to show up today. Vince Carter's supposed to show up today and play. Rookie of the year. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a rainy day out now. You know what I'm saying? So now they got to move the game indoor to the Gauchos gym. Right? So we play. Here come Vince in the gym. So you know the buzz is crazy. Loud get, crowd gets even louder while you playing. <laughs> talk, about, talk about what that was like. Obviously, I wouldn't be talking to you about it if you didn't introduce yourself to the world. Mm-hmm. That that day in the Gaucho's gym. Take me through that day. Talk about the buzz that you was hearing and how you felt, you know, going into that game. You kind of like always hear the word back in the day in the golden era. To me, that's what I call it. You know, you kind of like always heard, you know, if somebody was going to come up there and play. Mm -hmm. And it's like once that word hits New York City streets, you know, due to back then it wasn't no social media like that. Once that word hits the streets, it's like, you get to hear people saying, like, yo, is you ready for this? Is you ready for this? You get what I'm saying? Because everybody knows who's playing on which teams and which people might get ready, get a chance to match up against somebody. So when we hearing events might come up, and our eyes, to be honest with you, it was, it was more so of us knowing who Lonnie Harrell was, prime objective. Mm -hmm. He was the guy that kind of, like, had the name for the team that we was playing against. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Black hand. But he was he he basically let it be known that he was bringing vents. You know what I'm saying? So, all like I said, all throughout the neighborhood, we talk. Guys say, "Yo, you know, guys is gonna get at you or whatever." Like I said, me coming from Harlem, if you didn't, if you didn't already hear or have like thick skin, it's like you was already defeated. So I kind of like already got gassed up to re- get ready to hold myself down because. In the street, they're going to let you have it before you even get to your game. You right. get what I'm trying to say? The hype up. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what we do. We all go to Hump 42nd. We all, a lot of guys come through, drive through. Everybody go to Hump 42nd, Lennox Avenue. And it, it, gets, it gets hype over there before everybody make their way to Rucker Park. You right. know what I'm saying? <laughs> but long story short, that game wound up being that Gauchos, everybody make their way across the bridge, Hump 45th. Like I said, from Lennox Avenue, we all go across the bridge, Hump 45th. We get inside the gym. He's not there yet. You get what I'm saying? So I already kind of like got like a head start. You get what I'm saying? It's like I'm already playing in the first quarter and he's not there. He gets to the game like the end of the first quarter, but then starts like the game in the beginning of the second quarter. You get what I'm trying to say? So I already kind of like had a quarter ahead on him to like to be in the game. Mm -hmm. The, The shocking thing to me the most was, when Vince got in the game, I'm I'm on the court with Charles Jones, leading scorer of the nation, you know what I'm saying? Lamont Jones, you know what I'm saying? Julius Hodge, you know, there's a lot of different guys. And these guys are all, like, top city, these big names in the city. Besides my name is Streetball, but their names is, like, big, like, in the city circuit. So... My whole thing was I just didn't understand why when he got on the court, he came and straight to guard me. You get what I'm saying? Like, I took offense to that. It was like, I'm 17 years old. You rookie of the year in the NBA. Charles Jones is trying to go to Chicago. He's doing it. He got his. He got a name. Why you come on the court and guard me? And it was like, you know, when I said that to him, it was like he had made a statement like, like I'm going to make you better. You get what I'm trying to say? I took, I, I mean, like I said, me being from Harlem, I took offense to that. I took it as if, like, he was going to try to show me off. You get what I'm saying? Like, I'm here. I'm going to try to show, I'm going to make you better by making you play. And it was like, I wanted to show him. I don't know if he was ready for that. Like, I really, really, like, work out and practice all the time in Gaucho's gym. So it was like, against anybody else, I'm just here and I'm hooping. But against the name, Vince Carter, Rookie of the Year now, my eyes go to a whole different level with other people that have different type of names. You get what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to just kill a regular person. I want to kill somebody that got a name. Why? Because you're going to remember who I killed. You get what I'm trying to say? So it was like, that was my mentality. You know what I mean? Getting a chance to play against him, going up and down the court. Like I said, it was it was a lot. It was... It was a shootout that you wouldn't understand, meaning, like, I'll come down and i hit a three. He'll come down and he'll hit a three. I'll come down hit one three. He'll come down. We'll do that three, four times. And then I'll come down and go to the basket. He'll come down and go to the basket. We did that back and forth at least seven straight times, like, when no one else touching the basketball. Like, mm-hmm. you got to think about this is a five-on-five game. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden turned into a one-on-one. That's my feel. Right. You get what I'm saying? So it's kind of like... I won that battle, but he won the war. His team won that game. His team won by two points. You get what I'm trying to say? I have.
45, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. But he did come and, you know, hold it down as in a battle. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, a 17-year-old kid playing against rookie of the year in the NBA. And at the end of the day, like I said, I just wanted to make sure that people knew that I was, I was never afraid of a challenge. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And knowing that he had that type of name, mm -hmm. I was up for the challenge that day. And like I said, the one thing that I can remember, when I woke up the next day, my life was never the same. Like, I know where my life changed at. You get what I'm trying to say? It's like, I don't know how some people may feel that may have a million or more followers. Mm -hmm. You get what I'm trying to say? There some people that might have 20, 50 million followers. I know when they go outside, there's a light chance that a lot of people might know them because that's the reason why they got that many followers. I'm talking about the ones that do got it. Obviously, you know, they're, they're somebody, they're verified. Mm -hmm. The point I'm trying to make to you is that was the feeling I got when I went outside. I was verified, bro. When I woke up, I usually take my walk around Harlem. I'm talking about everywhere I went. They was talking about me in the game. They was talking about me playing against Vince. It was like if 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 a girl didn't look at me that no way no more, all of a sudden she's I'm I'm the hottest nigga in the street. You get what I'm saying? Like they all want me. It was all of a sudden he's the guy that you got to be with. Mm -hmm. Like it didn't even it, fuck going to the NBA. Fuck going. <laughs> you get what I'm trying to say? It wasn't about no yo. He needed you, yo that he was that nigga. You get what I'm saying? And that was just all off of one game. You know what I mean? Like it was that big. Mm -hmm. That big. Right. So you played in a lot of games. Was the at was the windmill off the alley oop one of the illest dunks you've seen in person? At that time, I mean, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I've never saw, I, I've 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 windmill, but to to watch somebody catch it and fully do it in the air off of an alley oop, it was something like when I seen him do that and then trying to guard me 94 feet. That's when you know a real ball player is taking it serious. It's like even if I was, you know. Here to who? You you doing something that's making me want to now show you that I know how to hoop too. You get what I'm saying, and that's one thing that I'll always be able to take. I don't care about that ranking or who the best in the city or what they call you. It's all about when the other ball player remember you. So that's why when I finally got a chance to hear what he said, you know, 22 years later, like, yo, that kid could go. Mm -hmm. you, you get what I'm saying? It was like he wouldn't miss. It was like. The fact that he honored what, what, what he seen a nigga was coming at him with. You get what I'm trying to say? And it wasn't no, 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 nah. Yo, we, I play in the NBA. This type of stuff happens all the time. Yeah, exactly. I gave you those type of vibes, nigga, in a street ball game. The shit that you feel in the NBA that y'all get paid for, I gave you those type of vibes in a street ball game. That's when you know real recognized real. I was honored by that. You get what I'm saying? It's very rare that, you know, your, your, your opponent remembers you. I know a lot of us like to talk about, you know, who we might have killed in our lifetime or, you know, who we associated to. But it, it's, it's a different type of pleasure when the celebrity remembers you. Mm -hmm. I know we like to brag about who we know, but it's a, it's a difference when they, when they brag about who you are. You, you get what I'm trying to say? So that's when I knew I was something different, you know. Fat Joe, Cam, all of those guys always like to brag about me. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because no one talking about Butter. He, he, he brought you that type of wins and those type of joy. You know what I'm saying? And they are who they are.
You know what no, I'm saying? So to no, me, that was always love. No question, man. So there's two other incidents I want to talk about when it comes to your street ball. Mm -hmm. First one, our first one I want to hit on is the game winner against Stefan and them at the Rucker. Mm. Talk, talk talk about that. That one right there went into double overtime. You know, shout out to Lamont Jones. You know, the one thing I love about Lamont Jones, you know, throughout my career, now that I look at the tapes and I watch a lot of it, he carried me. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Kareem three too. You know what I'm saying? Kareem carried me like they these guys had their own special talent within themselves but for them at times to be able to spread that light because I was that good you know what I'm saying like you 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 you, you got to be able to tilt your hat off to those guys you know what I'm saying for being able to allow me to express and showcase who I am you know what I'm saying and what I was capable of doing and like I said Lamont Jones was one of those that you know he personally really didn't like Steph when it came to court when it came to the game, you get what I'm saying? But for him to, like, always be able to put me in that position, you know what I'm saying, to be able to showcase my talent, it was like I have to tilt my hat off to him because it's like he could have took that shot. Him or Charles Jones normally, you know, take the big shots, you get what I'm saying? But the fact that, like I said, I watch these games now over and over and over and to see how sometimes that they were so smart and, you know, when to let back and when to allow me to go versus – certain people you get what i'm saying and it was like when you look at that game i was going i was like i was the one like who was hitting like those guys they were hitting and they were doing good but it seemed like every time we needed a boost i was able to come through so it was like i gotta give most props to that to uh lamont jones because for him to honor me with that it was like you always got to give props to the guard that says like, why a lot of people don't like LeBron is, like, Kobe and Mike will take the shot. LeBron will take the right NBA play. You can't be mad at the person that does the right thing to win. You get what I'm trying to say? It's like you got a lot of people that don't mind taking it into their own hands, but you can't be mad at the people that honor the game and play it the right way. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I'm always salute Kareem. And them because and Lamont because I know that they always capable of taking the game over in their own special way. You know, like Chris Paul. You get what I'm saying? Like yeah. they that special. You get what I'm saying? But it takes a lot to you know back off sometimes and you know give off to a Jamal Crawford and know when to let him shine. You yeah. get what I'm trying to say? So I, I'm gonna always salute them. You know what no I mean? Doubt. No doubt. The second thing I gotta touch on, and these are the things that when you live outside of New York City, you know what I mean? So I'm from Long Island, but I'm a basketball head, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you hear about, you know, even things that come out here. Oh, S. Dot Carter's supposed to play Terror Squad for the championship. Mm -hmm. LeBron's supposed to be in the building. Like, it's supposed to be, and there's the, the blackout. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay? So now, so now, what we're going to do here now, what we're going to do here now is we're going to explain, because I heard you talk about it a little bit. You get the truth, nothing but the truth, so help so me let's God. Talk about, let's, talk about, let's talk about why that game never went down. That game never happened because <laughs> basically the rules is if you won the championship the year before, you automatically get to pick what bench you're going to if you make it back to the championship the following year. So 
basically, in Rucker Park, if you're sitting at the bench that's close to 8th Avenue, you, you, you basically get the rim that's close to 8th Avenue on the way on the second half because it's, it's, the park is kind of like, it's not really a hill, but it feels like the, 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 the court is going up more when you're going towards the handball court. So picking your bench matters. You get what I'm saying? You always want to feel like you're going downhill the second half. You don't want to feel like you're going uphill the second half. You get what I'm trying to say? So the bench like kind of like mattered. I guess that was God's psyche back then in the golden era. Mm -hmm. So long story short, Mousy, which was our coach, he came to the park earlier in the day before the game started. And he's kind of like cool with Juan, OG Juan, who's like, you know, He's him, Mousy, they all joking. He gets Mousy somehow to agree to a coin toss for who could get the bench. OG Wan won. So OG Wan and his guys before the game start, you know, those guys having about three three guys go sit on the bench. Long story short, when Joe and all of us show up in the back, and we all in the parking lot and stuff. When Joe hears this, Joe already kind of like had issues with Jay-Z and them from before. So not saying that they didn't like them, but the fact that, you know, Joe kind of always had tension with them and these guys is now trying to come and just now put a team in, in the tournament that all of a sudden Joe been winning and been getting this New York City love. You know, Jay always is, you know, once again, Jay-Z's always trying to come and take that away from guys. I guess that's how they feel. You get what I'm saying? So Joe went and made a statement. Joe came out there, mad guys. Now, it's Fat Joe and about 40 guys, 30 guys, and you got OG Wan and about two, three guys sitting on that bench. And, and like I said, me being there and always being next to Joe, this is Joe's attitude. This is Joe's words. I don't care about no coin toss. Mousy's nothing but the coach. I'm the owner. I pay for everybody on my team. Y'all not taking this bench. Get up. So that, that aggression, that aggression, and plus, like I said, the tension from before, Juan went on that bus and told Jay and them how Joe was being. They're not getting off the bus. They didn't feel like it was about basketball. You get what I'm trying to say? Especially if a guy loses. If he's starting off like this before the game even starts, you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Joe takes that park in that tournament personal. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the tension, like I said, just from a coin toss, you see the energy. Nigga, I don't care about who, what y'all did earlier on that bench. This is my team. Mousy has no say-so. Get up out of here. They never got off the bus, bro. Mm -hmm. only, two of the, only two players... Two, three players, rest in peace, Strick, LJ, if I'm not mistaken, and Reggie Freeman is the only three guys that signed the books. Mm. My team signed the books. You get what I'm trying to say? <laughs> like, we all, get, we all came on the court for Terror Squad, and we signed the books. You know what I mean? Mm. But his guys ain't come off the bus and signed the books. Mm. That's how we won without playing the championship. Whoever signs the books automatically wins. Okay, no doubt about it. So, obviously, for a lot of us, you know what I'm saying, for, well, for everybody, at some point, the ball going to stop bouncing. Mm. And we got we to transition into 
to being grown men, you know what I'm saying? So talk about where you're at right now. Like I was listening to your Streets First podcast and I, mm -hmm. I liked how you, you know, you infused uh, and, it's, and it's basically the rucker thing. I'm going to take sports and entertainment and bring it together because that's what you came up on. You know what I'm saying? So you took that off the court as well and you were, and you were doing it. Talk about where you came up with that idea. Streets first, man. No matter where you go, what you do, you gotta go through the streets first. You know, I'm all about the inner city and what 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 what, what created me. Mm -hmm. And when you have people like Rest in Peace, Greg Marius, an icon, you know what I'm saying? Build a platform for 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 kids like myself that may not have got a chance or had the money to pay to go to Rice, had the money to pay to go to some of those schools, wasn't able to play with Riverside or Gauchos because, as we all know, you know. Those guys kind of like already know who they want. They train kids from six years old and up. You know what I'm saying? So as you're getting older, you got to get in where you fit in with those AAU programs. Everybody know that coming from New York. So I kind of like was always the underdog. You get what I'm saying? Like I found a way to make sure that I got myself involved and into those things. But like I said, that stuff showed me that, you know, I wanted to be able to give back to the next generation about how to get over the hump. That was one thing that I, at a time, even though I was looked at as a celebrity, a star, a major, a major figure in my community, I still didn't do things to get over the hump. I always wanted to come back and have interviews with people that I looked at as leaders that came from the same walks of life as me and they figured it out. You get what I'm saying? Like a Royale Ivy. How are you able to go to Cardoza, go to Texas, and to play in the NBA for 12 years, 9 years, 10 years, and then be able to be an assistant coach? This kid is from Queens. You get what I'm trying to say? Like, I feel like kids need to be able to see that those people can be you. You get what I'm Everybody don't make it to the league. Everybody don't make it to the league and shine. You get what I'm saying? But you can have a career. Mm -hmm. You get what I'm trying to say? Like, like they portray this. If you don't make it to the, like, you don't make it to the NBA, you, you, you're not successful. Right. You get what I'm saying? What's the percentage of us coming from poverty, coming from inner cities is going to make it. So mm -hmm. that's what encouraged me to, you know, do streets first. You know what I'm saying? To always be able to connect with the inner city that I know they, they see as the, the unseen leaders. Sometimes some, some heroes don't have a face. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I know a lot of the guys be asking me, you know, what's up with the podcast or why you're not still doing it? It's like, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really do my podcast now because everybody's doing a podcast. I want the world to allow podcasting to water itself down. Mm -hmm. Why? Because if you if you look at what yours is, if you don't if you're not speaking to people and people are not really seeing journalism. It's going gonna, it's gonna to water itself down. They're going to see after a while, you guys were just talking to people. You just mm -hmm. wanted to talk for no, just to talk. And after a while, in a world where it's going right now, people are going to be able to see who's leading or you're just talking. You get what I'm saying? So right now is not a time for me to just be talking with people that just got time to talk. You got a mm -hmm. pandemic going around. Like, I got something to say right now. Mm -hmm. But a lot of guys are not really making sure that what's being said is worthy enough to help or touch somebody else's life to change. Mm -hmm. You get mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So I'm going to yeah. keep mine as authentic as I can keep it, mm -hmm. you know, to make sure that the person knows that minds will always be about unseen or unformed, un un which you wouldn't believe is a hero or a leader, but understanding how they came from the same walks of life as you. But these are some of the things that they had to do 
to get over the hump. What's the odds of me going to Fordham and me being cool with Steve Canal and his wife being Swing Cash? Mm-hmm. You, you see what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. these are these are the people that's in my orbit in my life. You get what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So it's like a lot of those things just made me say, like, make sure when you get ready to talk to people, you understand what journalism really is about. Like, when, mm-hmm. when I say journalism, meaning, yo, bro, I don't need no paper in front of me for you to know my homework. Like, I do my mm-hmm. homework. So I already, I, like, and then at that, when me and you talking, the authenticity of the conversation face-to-face, you could say, you could talk about, you could, you could answer things totally different over this phone mm-hmm. versus you being right there in my face and you, you, you can't lie. I'm a basketball player. I bled the game. So that's another thing that makes it different. You get what I'm saying? It's like the question that I'm asking you, you can't really come up with the answers that you want to say just to get likes or just to get people to come listen to your shit. You get what I'm trying to say? Like, I'm not in it for that. I'm more in it for what's the purpose? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Why? Because there's going to be some lives that's going to listen to that and they're gonna, it's going to help impact their life. That's mm-hmm. why I was telling Reg, mm-hmm. I can't wait to talk on yours. Just the name speak for itself. You get what I'm saying? If you're not trying to make a, if you're not talking to people, trying to make a positive impact, mm-hmm. or, or 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 people of positive impacts, mm-hmm. you're looking for one of those gotcha episodes or gotcha questions or mm-hmm. got. You get what I'm saying? And it's like, are we really helping people with that, or are we really trying to make sure that the listener is getting, you know, something that can help empower them? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm just saying that that's. That's what this whole movement and everything is about. Like, how are we utilizing our platforms and 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 and, and conversations to really be like the meat and other minds? You get what I'm saying? Or are we just talking? I, ain't, I I'm not a big fan of that. My bad, bro. You see where Lamar start going? Yeah, now you My good. bad. Nah, it's all good. <laughs> now nah, we keep it. So as we get older, we've lived long enough where we can say, "Damn, I wish I could have did that differently." You understand what I'm saying? But we also get into a position where we might be working with some kids or something like that. Give me one message that you would give to kids as a, as a give back to them to help them get to where they got to go. Don't take the money. When you take the money, you lose your passion. I chase the money. That's the one thing that I could give to the next generation. Once I started to chase the money, I lost the passion for the game. You get what I'm saying? The money keeps you. You won't. I wouldn't play nowhere if I didn't get paid. You know how many opportunities I lost to showcase my talent? Mm-hmm. I didn't see it that way. You, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I looked at it as this was what my talent was worth, so why am I not going to get paid to play? But I lost my passion for the game because of that. You get what I'm saying? The more and more I would have kept my hunger for just wanting to play the game is the reason why I was such a dog in playing basketball. It was the reason why people couldn't fuck with me. Because I always wanted to work on my game. You know what I mean? Why? To have the passion to be able to talk shit and back it up. Once I got the money, as in playing for big money or always getting money to play, it made me feel like I could speak more on why I don't have to play here. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm trying to say? What, what, what is it that I'm losing because I won't go play in that. You get what I'm trying to say? It's like, if I'm a big money getter playing ball, why am I going to play in that game for free? Just because y'all saying that these guys is over here playing. All right, well, they not getting thousands of games like I am. 
like that's my that was my mind frame. So if it was one thing that I could tell, you know, to the next generation, keep doing what you're doing with basketball for passion, man. Like keep doing what you got to do to drive your passion for whatever it is that you love. You know what I'm saying? And just try not to make money or attention your passion. You know what I mean? Money and it's money is the root of all evil. Attention now is the root of all evil. You get what I'm saying? You got to keep your passion, like, number one. Whatever it is that you're passionate about, keep driving that bitch until it bring you whatever. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So as we get ready to wrap up, I want to hit you with a couple. I want to hit you with a few quick hitters. So I just want to mm -hmm. ask you this question. Hit me with it. So my first thing is, who's your toughest opponent ever? <clears throat> wow. Jamal Tinsley. I would I would say that Jamal Tinsley, I would always like to give Jamal Tinsley his props because I always felt like Jamal Tinsley didn't just play offense. He was a dog on defense. So it was like he was a guy that I felt like I had to be able to be mentally tough on offense and defense to be able to even match up against players like Steph. Or, you know, Steph and them, you know, they play in the NBA, so they took games off. They took defense plays off. You know what I'm saying? It was more about showing you that offense that I always respected a guy that did offense and defense. So that's why I'm always give, you know, Jamal Tinsley his props in my book of playing against. No question. No question about it. Best game that you've ever been a part of? Mm, best game that I've ever been a part of? I would want to say uh, when I won the championship against Bevon Robin and Reggie Freeman and them. I would, I would. The only reason why I must give that game because Lenny Cook knows he was the number one player in the nation in high school, and he won MVP. But the more and more I look at that game on NBA TV and I look back, it's like I don't see how they give a guy that had eighteen or sixteen or eighteen in the game or a, uh, MVP over a guy that had twenty five, twenty seven. But I understand the politics. He was number one in the high school in the nation. You don't understand how that sounds and look when it comes to Rucker Park. You get what I'm saying? But it's like the more and more I look back at that game and watch how it went, he got the game winning basket. But every time my team got down to Reggie Freeman, Jeff McMillan, Bevon Robin, Dwayne Woodward at um, 40, uh, Black Magic, I'll be right back. Like, this is who they this is who we playing against. You get what I'm saying? It's like every time my team got down to them, I was doing some special stuff, man. That's why I always show that game like on t uh, to them to let them know that, you know, I was special. And I don't call myself special just because of who I was playing against. When I say all of those names, they all played on one team. They was defending champs. They won twice two years in a row. I came and stopped that three-peat. You get what I'm trying to say? It's like, then I went on my own three-peat. You see what I'm trying to say? So it was like, that. those things made me special because it's like, even though I was killing guys that had groups of players on one team, I also started to play with groups of players on one team and I outshined them. You get what I'm saying? I'm playing with Kareem Reed. I'm playing with Katino Mobley. I'm playing with uh, uh, Stephon Marbury. I'm playing with Al Harrington. I'm playing with um, 
like I said, Fat Joe one year brought every good player off of the other teams and put them on his team so he wouldn't have to play against them. I wasn't sitting on the bench, though. You get what I'm saying? They was taking 500 to $800 a game just to sit on the bench. Why? Because they wasn't getting that kind of money when they was playing for those other teams. That's how much niggas wanted to play on Joe's team because this is how he changed the game with the way they were giving out money. Back then, when you played in Rucker, if you wasn't playing for one of the biggest drug dealers in the street, you wasn't getting paid like that. Greg changed it to where he brought the rappers involved. Mm -hmm. So it went from like a, the drug dealers in the street to the rappers to now the major corporations. And once the major corporations get into involved in anything, you already know they're taking it out of the black man's hand. They rearranging it. They trying to put their own spin on it. And as you can see, the rucker died. Mm -hmm. You get what I'm saying? But, you know, that's what we try to help today. People like Kenny, you know, that runs Dykeman, not go down that path. You know what I'm saying? Hoping that he can learn from what Greg didn't do. And when Greg had the power that he had, how wasn't he able to uplift other tournaments? And it's like, Kenny, now you in, the, now you in, in that position. It's like, are you going to do the things that everybody was saying about Greg? Or are you going to figure out how to utilize these corporations to really start uplifting our communities? Because it's like, after these games is over, our communities is trash. Those tournaments and, and those, those parks, they all look horrible. Yeah. So it's like, y'all let these million, billion dollar corporations come in and it's just because you know, the owners and them getting a couple of dollars or they throw a couple of sneakers inside the, the, the tournament. It's like they're not really changing our community. And it's not it's because, once again, this is why people doing what they're doing. We're not holding people accountable. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We lack in leadership in Harlem. You know what I mean? That's why I always praise Greg so much because no matter what people used to say about him, if you looked at what he tried to do and open up doors for New York City and street ball, you got to understand that in inner cities, everybody not going to make it to college, bro. Everybody not going to make it to the NBA. So what do those percentage of kids got left? You get what I'm saying? I mean, I just hope you know that that's why you're seeing these guys making these leagues where you don't got to go to college and mm -hmm. you go play one year overseas. You get what I'm saying? Like these guys trying to figure out now why? Because they know all these kids ain't going to make it. All these kids not going to be able to go to college. What's, what's the next thing? What's the next offering that we could do how we could give them money to make them not go to school and not look at it as if that stuff is not important no more? You know what I mean? Once again, that's where leadership comes in. We lack in having leaders in our community again. You know what I mean? No doubt. No doubt. Last question. And put yourself in this too. Give me a five-man team and they can't nobody beat y'all. Who are you taking with you? You and Kareem, Kareem Reed at the one. I'm I'm at the two. Reggie Freeman is at the three. Uh, what's my man name? Reg Freeman at the three. Big Strick at the four. Fab is at the five. Nakia Miller. Nobody could beat us. Even if you even if you even if you put take my man Strick take my man Strick out of it because he passed away. Put my man Total Package in there at the four. TP. Nobody can beat us. That five right there, I've done this so many times with them, too. I'm talking about all throughout the city. Nobody could beat us. Piff Unit, Eastside, all throughout all types of tournaments. I went with that five right there. Nobody through the city could beat us. 
Nice. I like that. I like that a lot. I like you, that. You, you, you got dogs at every, every, look, you got dogs at every position. You got somebody at every position and they prom was going right at you. Mm -hmm. I watched Kareem Reed give Joe Smith 40. I watched myself give Vince, Steph, mad different people 40. I watched High Five Reg Freeman give mad people 40. I watched mm -hmm. TP give guys 40. Mm -hmm. I watched Fab just be Mr. Unbelievable, Mr. Mr. Reliable. You seen him with too much, too much footwork doing all kind of things, blocking shots. All I'm saying is when you get guys at every position that does what they do, I bet my money on them any day and they prime. Love it. I love <laughs> nah, it's not too many guys you can say getting 40. We all get 20s. And it's not too many guys going around just giving out that 40. You know what I mean? That's why I said that five. We put nah. that five up against anybody. I love it. I love that day, man. So listen, man, we don't went to our limit, man. We couldn't. Nah, it's all love. Listen, man, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your willingness to come on, and I appreciate the love that you that you've shown my podcast and the kind words that you said about it, man. And I appreciate, it. like I said, man. I, I hope you bring the streets first back because. Like I said, I went through the episodes. I like the different guests that you had on there. And I like what you, you know, what you're doing for the culture. You know, your name still rings bells out there in, in the city. And, and you know, there, there's more to do, especially during this time. So, hey, I appreciate you and your time, man. Thank you so much, man. And, and Just want to say one more thing before I go, man. Shout out to all of the fallen streetball soldiers. I salute y'all. 155th, Rucker Park. Shout out to Ali Moe. Shout out to Escalade. Shout out to Big Strick. Shout out to all my guys, Greg Marriott. Shout out to all of the streetball players that died, you know, that played in the golden era, that played, that, that, that really helped the culture of streetball be what it is. You know what I'm saying? Salute to all of those guys. You're well missed, and we never going to stop praising your name, man. No doubt. No doubt. Appreciate you, man. We be in touch, though. Love, bro. Yes, sir. Salute.